finding yourself adrift, getting off course, going too far away. All of these are things that could happen so quickly that we so don't often don't notice it until it's too late. Finding yourself adrift. As Christians, there are times in our lives when we can find ourselves adrift as well. We make small momentary decisions, and next thing we know, our focus and our direction and our purpose has changed. We end up in a different place than where we started. We find ourselves adrift. This morning is Graduate Sunday, and it's a great opportunity to recognize and to celebrate the accomplishments of our graduates this year. And high school seniors, it's easy for you to drift. Most recent research from Lifeway about seniors graduating from high school says that 66% of you will not attend church in the fall. With our group of 14 that stood up here before you, that means nine of them will not attend church in the fall. And those nine that drifted from church, those people that would drift from church didn't really plan to. The stats say this, that 71% of the people who drifted from church didn't plan on taking a break. They just drifted away. When we think about our own lives as Christians, we tend to drift as well. We drift from who we are in Jesus. We drift from enjoying the grace of God to trying to perform for God and to earn God's favor. And we drift away from Christian community. Over the last month and throughout the time of Lent this year, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 1, the author of Hebrews gives us this reminder about drifting. It says this, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. This morning we're going to look at three ways that we as Christians and we as graduates are drawn to drift from our faith, to drift from the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. But before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you for today and for this opportunity, God, to be here in this place, to look at your word, and to worship you. God, today, as we look at these areas of drift, God, help us to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with others about where we are with you, and how easy it is to drift away. God, remind us of your truth, God, ground us in your gospel. And encourage us through your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first way we drift, we drift from who we are in Jesus. We drift from who we are in Jesus. This thing over here is an object that you're probably fairly familiar with. It is a mirror. Most mirrors are used in people's morning routine when they get up in the morning. There's some point in your morning when you find yourself before this. Mirrors can be things that are positive and negative for people. Some people, they look in the mirror and they think that life is awesome and that they look awesome. Other people look in the mirror and wish they hadn't. And so when you look in the mirror, you realize who you are and different things about you. The mirror points out your flaws. The mirror points out that your hair is not the right way or your makeup's not the right way or there's some sort of problem there. When we think about our own lives, we look at ourselves personally like we do in a mirror, and sometimes we don't like what we see. We see lack and we see loss, and we see our own imperfections and our own brokenness. When we look in that mirror, we hear that we're not smart enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not attractive enough, that we are clearly not perfect enough. There's a word that was written over the mirror in some of our hearts and lives. It would be the word failure. 
failure. I'm not enough. I don't feel like I'm enough. And we feel like failure is written over our lives because we can't measure up. And every glance into that mirror is a glance into a reality that we picture that's not really true. Well, that reality is not really true is our first point today, that our identity is found not in a mirror, but in a man who hung on a cross to redefine our identity. Our identity is not found in a mirror, but in a man who hung on a cross to redefine our identity. If you have your Bibles, we're headed to the book of Ephesians today. We're going to be in Ephesians and Hebrews. Um, Ephesians was written by Paul. Hebrews was written by we don't know. And so Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul beginning to lay out the amazing truth of this gospel. This gospel that's changed his life and is using him to change the world. And I don't know about you, if you have like a friend that gets really excited about stuff and talks really fast and the friend goes on and on and on and on and you're just like, get a breath, come up for air. I know you're excited about this truth that's happened, but slow down. When we come to this text, we see Paul going through essentially a very long run-on sentence of this is what God has done, and I can't really stop talking about it, and I keep going on and on and on and on with excitement about what God has done for me. And so as we see in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we see Paul's excitement for what he sees when he looks in his mirror. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. According to Paul, when he looks in the mirror, this is what he sees. He sees someone who's blessed with every spiritual blessing. He sees someone who is chosen because of what Jesus has done for him. He sees someone as holy and blameless not because of his performance, but because of Christ's performance for him. He sees someone who's been predestined. He sees someone who's been adopted as God's child. He sees someone who's been redeemed through Christ's blood. He sees someone who's been forgiven of his sins and given great grace. When Paul looks at the mirror of his soul, he doesn't see the word failure. He sees chosen. Like the song said, we're chosen, we're not forsaken. I am not who the world says I am. I'm not who the mirror says I am. I'm not who the voices in my head say I am. I'm who God says I am. And the words over the top of that mirror would be this. It would be that we are loved. Graduates, you are loved. You don't have to go looking for love because Jesus loves you. You're pursued and you're valued. Our value and worth come from Jesus. We've been given a new identity, not based on our record, but based on Jesus' rescue. We've been given a new identity based not on our record, but on Jesus' rescue. This is the gospel truth that guides us from drift. We all wonder who we are, if we're loved, if we have value, if we have significance. And all we got to do is look to Jesus. 
When we see the word failure written over the mirror of our life, Jesus came and scratched that out and wrote, it is finished. I've taken that away. I've made you holy and pure and spotless at the cross because of my work and not yours. We drift from who we are in Jesus. Second, we drift into performance instead of rest. We drift into performance instead of rest. We live in a world where we're driven to perform. Um, we've been blessed this morning that technology has evolved, and I have an iPhone 20. If anyone has ever seen the iPhone 20, uh, the best part about it is uh, they don't make carrying cases for it. Instead, you use a Prius to carry it around. And so, looking at our iPhone here today, we think about phones and how phones affect us. We use our phone to turn it on and to look at the world. And the world tears us a certain narrative of who we're supposed to be. I'm supposed to act this way. I'm supposed to think this way. I'm supposed to do these things. The world's narrative drives us from our phone. The other thing that drives us from our phone is social media. We've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever age and demographic you follow on social media, it's hopefully on this fancy new iPhone 20. And so when we think about social media, how social media affects us is we come to social media looking for something to do. We are bored. We are distracted. We want to be out of the current moment we are in. So we come to social media. And the problem with social media is this. We compare the mundane of our life to the highlight reel of other people's lives. I don't know about you if you've ever been in this moment where you open your phone and you look at it and you go, man, all of my friends are at the beach and I'm stuck at work. Or maybe you look at the picture of the kids in the perfect family and you realize, look at them, their family is so perfect and you wouldn't believe the drama we went through to get here this morning with ours. Or maybe you look at the phone and you're a teenager and you see that everyone else is at the event and you didn't get invited to the event. Bottom line, we turn on our iPhone and we look at social media and we're forced with this question. Why is everyone else's life so awesome when mine is clearly not? We try to perform. Turn on the phone. It says this is the standard. This is the way things should be. And realize that we don't measure up. When it comes to faith, we bring our performance mentality over. Our performance mentality works in this world. That's how you get a job. That's how you get a promotion. That's how you've graduated. You've learned to perform and do what you needed to do. When it comes to faith, we bring this performance mentality with us as well. We think that we should try to be good people who represent Jesus. Failing to realize that we cannot be good without Jesus working through us to make us good and to change us and to make us more like him. We think it's all about performance when the offer is not to perform for God. The offer is to rest in God's grace and to let him be the one who changes us. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you look at the next chapter, Paul goes on to talk about the amazing nature of this grace. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, Starting in verse 8, Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. He begins by saying that it's not our performance that earns our favor with God. God didn't look down from heaven and go, Man, that's a good one, we should save him. We should save her. No, it's God's grace that is bestowed on us that is a gift that's something we cannot deserve. And second, we see in verse 10 that we are his workmanship. Paul used the word 
workmanship here, which is the idea of a poem that we're God's creative, artistic expression to the world. And when people look at us, they should see Jesus and see the world being a different place through us. We're his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We realize that salvation is something that comes through Jesus, that it's his performance and not ours, and that we can rest in Jesus and allow him to do his work in and through our lives. We can rest in Jesus and allow him to do his work in and through our lives. We missed a blank. I have OCD. I understand this. We're going to back up a blank. Jesus completed our performance at the cross should be your first blank. Jesus completed our performance at the cross. Everybody get in the car and go to lunch and be like, man, that was a good message today, but that blank, I just don't know what it is. And we can debate it at lunch and wonder what happened. But Jesus completed our performance at the cross, so we don't have to get the blanks exactly right because Jesus completed our performance at the cross. Jesus completes our performance at the cross. Second, we can rest in Jesus and allow him to do his work in and through our lives. We can rest in Jesus and allow him to do his work in and through our lives. Our lives are lived not by performing but surrendering to Jesus. As he leads us, as he guides us, as he does his work in us for his kingdom and for his glory. The curtain is closed. The lights have dimmed. There's one person left on the stage, and it's not me and it's not you. We've been given the opportunity to allow him to shine his work in and through our lives. We drift. We drift from who we are in Jesus. We drift into performance instead of rest. And last, we drift from Christian community. We drift from Christian community. This swan was rescued from the ocean and brought here to you today. Just kidding. This is a swan that represents the swan in the video. And if you remember back to the video, we had the lady and her son that got on the swan for a nice, awesome day at the beach. And next thing they know, they're so far out that the swan, which is a blown-up flotation device for fun, became a flotation device that they held on to for their lives because they had slipped away. They had drifted. When it comes to us and our faith, we have a tendency to drift from Christian community. We have a tendency to drift from who we are in Christ and who Christ has called us to be. And the problem is this. We live in a world with many shiny things. We live in a world with many fun things. And it's easy to let good things replace the best things and the most important things. And one way we do this is we let church become just another activity on the calendar rather than the source of our strength in life. Church becomes just another activity in our busy lives rather than our source of strength in life. For many of us, like our soon college freshmen, we become busy with good things and we miss the best things. We allow late nights on a Saturday. We allow the sporting event for our kids or the simple need for a few extra hours of sleep to keep us from being a part of a community of faith. We stop seeing the church as another activity to be punted or shifted on the calendar based on what fits best for our family and start seeing the church and the Christian community with what we're called to be biblically, this to be the opportunity where we come together as our lifeline to remind each other of who we are in Jesus, to remind each other the truth of the gospel, and to see that God is doing something in this place. When we start seeing church that way, it changes things. It's not something that can easily be punted. It's not something that we can move away from so quick. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, 
writes to the church about this drift. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24, reads this way. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews says that some have made a habit of not meeting together. They fall into a lie that we so often fall into, and it's called the lie of a solo faith. My faith is between me and Jesus and doesn't involve anyone else. We miss the fact that the church is meant to be a place where we remind ourselves of the gospel and the narrative that our worth and success and value come from Jesus and not from everything around us that wants to quantify who we are. We encourage each other to have faith when the future seems dark. We encourage each other to love people who are unlovable. And we encourage each other to allow Jesus to live through us so that we make an impact on the world. We need the gospel and we need each other to remind ourselves of what truly matters. The church is the place where we're reminded of gospel truths and encouraged to faithfully live those truths before a watching world. The church is the place where we're reminded of gospel truths and encouraged to faithfully live those truths before a watching world. The way we guard ourselves from the drift is to guard ourselves in the gospel. I think for Southern Christians, it's easy for us to reduce faith to transaction. Faith is something that I had with God. We had a deal. Um, I prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, had an experience, and therefore when I die, I'll go to eternity with you. We reduce faith to a transaction when biblically faith is not a transaction. Faith is a transformation. Faith is walking with Jesus. Faith is seeing God begin to change you. Faith impacts your life. If your faith doesn't impact your life, it's not a biblical faith. And so we see in God's word this call to be transformed, this call to live the gospel, that the gospel is not something in our head or something in our hymnal. It's something in our lives, and it makes a difference. And so today we're going to end uh, with a familiar hymn that we're going to kind of tweak. Um, Edward Moat wrote this song, and it's called My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And I think for us as Christians, it's easy for us to build our hope on Jesus. It's easy for us to build our eternity and our future on Jesus, but the struggle comes when am I going to build my Sunday afternoon on Jesus? Am I going to build my Monday on Jesus? Am I going to build my last couple weeks of school with exams? Am I going to build my summer on Jesus? Am I going to build my life on Jesus? Because guess what? Where your foundation is is what matters. And reminding yourself of the foundation and where God has called us to be, guards us from drifting. Guards us from drifting from who we are in Jesus, drifting into performance instead of rest, and drifting from Christian community who comes alongside us to remind us what we're trying to pursue and who we're seeking. So today, as we respond to the gospel, we're going to sing about our life being built on nothing less. And as we do, a couple things to think about. Where are you building your life? Where are you building your life? Your life. Does your hope for the future define your life here and now? Because walking with Jesus is not just about eternity. Walking with Jesus is about here and now. And last, are you clinging to the solid rock of the gospel? Or are you caught in the current of the drift?
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus. Not based on our own strength or our own performance, but on Christ's work. God, today, help us to be people who cling to you. Help us to be people who build our lives on you. God, we thank you for these graduates. God, I pray that you would be with them, God, that you would make them be a class that doesn't drift from you. God, as a church, God, for those of us in this room that may feel like we have drifted, God, bring us conviction and bring us back to you. And God, for those in this room who may have never heard the hope of the gospel, you're a God who takes our failure away, makes us clean and makes us new. God, lead them to respond to you today. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.